Story Most Queer listeners. Just wanted to let you know we have some exciting news to share with you. I teased it before, but now it's official. Mischief Media, the home of A Story Most Queer, has just launched our very own Patreon community. And, of course, we would love it if you joined. If you like A Story Most Queer, you are already aware of the enthusiastic and nerdy fun that all Mischief podcasts bring. And we are always trying to make them bigger and better. And when you join our Patreon, you are, you're directly helping us do that. We can bring you better quality sound and edits, brand new shows on the network, brand new episodes of your favorite show like this one. And as a thank you for your support, we've got curated bonus content from all of our shows going up twice a week. We've got physical merch like stickers and the like. And my favorite part, we have a private Discord community that is already filled with fans and friends sharing all of their favorite things and feelings together. And that's just the beginning. So join our Patreon community by going to patreon.com slash making mischief today. Again, that's patreon.com slash making mischief. Can't wait to see y'all there. Welcome to A Story Most Queer, where every week we bring you a new story about queer characters and lifestyles, written by queer authors, narrated by queer voices, pocket-sized queer stories for everyone. A Story Most Queer is brought to you by Mischief Media. Today's story is Stuart Livingston Hill, written by Gear Austin, read by Vince Gatton. Next month, I'm going to be 60 years old. Me, Stuart Livingston Hill, 60 years old. It doesn't seem fair. When I came out to my mother some 40 years ago, I remember her saying, Since you have chosen to be a homosexual, be prepared for a lonely old age. In other words, I'd be much happier if I married Mindy so-and-so, the daughter of a friend of the family, because Mindy and I would produce children who would keep us company during our golden years. Well, I didn't marry Mindy. When I was nearly 40, I fell in love with Mitch, a man 10 years my junior. When he was nearly 50, just last year, he fell in love with a man 15 years his junior. So there you have it. Mom's prophecy has been fulfilled. I'm alone. To top it off, I lost my job. I'm in the rag trade, or I was in the rag trade until yesterday afternoon. I worked for Regina Bridgewater, Inc., the huge apparel company. You remember Regina Bridgewater. Big in the 80s. Career dressing for the contemporary woman. Maybe your mother wore Regina to work after she divorced your father and had to get a job? Well, Regina departed the company a long time ago with who knows how many hundreds of millions of dollars, and they appointed me head designer for the brand. Everything went beautifully for many years. I made them a few zillion dollars. But during the past several seasons, the corporate types who ran the company went on an acquisition binge, and Regina Bridgewater ended up as only one of 47 brands among a portfolio aimed at every segment of the fashion-buying public. While the vice presidents cared for and fed denim, modern, active, and streetwear, classic Regina withered on the vine. They blamed me for the downturn in sales, but I blamed their constant cost-cutting. Then the economy tanked, women stopped buying clothes, and I got fired. So, I am an unemployed fashion designer. Gay designer is almost as much of a cliché as gay hairdresser, don't you think? Although I love the business, I wish I could tell people I am a lumberjack or a stock car racer. They always have a knowing look in their eyes when I say I'm a fashion designer. Yes, we knew you were gay, they seem to be saying, but we didn't know you were that gay. The other thing that bothers me about telling people I'm a designer 
is they want me to be Ralph Lauren or Michael Kors. Do I look like one of those guys, I want to say? I'm six feet tall, lean and muscular from working out in the company gym, and I haven't had much plastic surgery. I have brown eyes and a full head of silver hair. I'm rather handsome, I think, though I'm not really sure because the mirror is a terrible liar. I suppose I look like a guy who worked for a corporation for 28 years while trying to retain some sense of individuality and then got axed, like a lot of other people. The vice presidents had security show me the door after they told me I was dead meat. What did they think I would do? Run screaming through the hallways, proclaiming I had been wronged? In a way, I was glad to leave. I hadn't enjoyed working at Regina for the last several years. Not that I didn't give it my best, but my interest in and most American women's need for career dressing had almost completely vanished. I wore jeans to work every day, as did many of the women in the Regina Bridgewater office. Evidence of a larger trend. America has gone casual. There are still people who wear suits, but they are not the middle-class buyers of Regina Bridgewater. Well, it's no longer my problem. Because after all those years, I was kicked out. And while it was a relief in some ways, it felt strange. I knew the security guy who escorted me out of the building. Of course, he was only doing his job, and I didn't hold him responsible. Best of luck to you, Stuart he said when we were out on the sidewalk. We'll pack up your personal belongings and message them over to your place. I walked up 7th Avenue into Times Square, thinking how much I missed the hookers, hustlers, and pimps who once populated the district. I always thought they had a real sense of style. Nowadays, you can hardly elbow your way through the crowds of tourists clad in identical denim and sneakers, and at this time of year, matching down jackets. And the lights... On the one hand, they're a dazzling display of technology. On the other hand, every second-rate town in China has a billboard display that equals or surpasses Times Square's. I glanced up at the Regina Bridgewater billboard before I went down into the subway. The model was wearing one of my dresses, a gray chiffon number. She looked pretty damn good. Back at home, I picked up my mail in the lobby before going up to my apartment. There was another package for Mitch's lawyer. Do you want to know what hell I'm going through with this separation? I always earned more money than he did. I was the one with the career. He waited tables in between acting in off-off-Broadway plays. He invested ten grand in our apartment, and I put in two hundred thousand. Most months, I paid the entire mortgage and maintenance because Mitch would come up short. Of course, Manhattan real estate went through the roof, and even though it dropped down a bit with the economy, the apartment is now worth a couple of million. My idea is to give Mitch 100000 representing the proportional return on his investment. But his lawyer believes I should give Mitch 50% of the value of the property, which is hard to determine in a market when apartments can be difficult to sell. Whatever the value, I don't have a million in cash to fork over to Mitch. I might have to remortgage, impossible now that I'm unemployed, or sell the place to raise that much money. I guess if I had been the one to pick up and move to Miami, leaving Mitch high and dry, I'd consider giving him what he's asking for. But I was the one who got ditched. It doesn't seem fair for Mitch to score a 10,000% profit on his stake just because his name was on the deed when he decided he would rather live in Miami with some other guy. I gathered up all the mail and went upstairs. Once inside, I hung up my jacket and picked up the phone. Before I did anything else, I had to tell my best friend Shayla I'd been fired. She and I met years ago when I hired her to work for me at Regina. She often said the company couldn't survive without me, but I always said I was expendable, like everyone else, and I wanted to let her know I was right. 
I would have liked to give her the news in person just to see the expression on her face, but I don't have that much self-control. So I dialed her cell. She's the type of person who always carries her phone in her pocket. Looking at her, you'd never know she's a fashion designer. Strictly t-shirts, jeans, and sneakers. The opposite of career dressing. She adopted that style after she left Regina, back when things first started going downhill, and she launched her own business, a fancy t-shirt company. Give them what they want, she said. She called it Shayla. Not a good name if you ever want to do a men's line, I said. Regina Bridgewater's men's line is Bridgewater, which sounds masculine. I don't design for men, Shayla said. But she ended up doing a men's line and calling it Shayla's Guys. She answered her phone as usual on the first ring. I told her the news. What? She screamed so loud I had to hold the phone away from my ear. Those motherfucking sons of bitches, are you okay? Want me to come over? I'm okay, I said. It's not the end of the world. I think I needed a change. Are you really, really okay? She said. Because I hate to say this, but I'm walking into a meeting and I gotta go. I'm fine, I said. I'm not going to jump out the window or anything. I'm taking you to dinner tomorrow night, she said. Meet me at the office at seven. And I hung up the phone. After I hung up the phone, I glanced through all the mail that had piled up during the week. I get home from work so late that I never have time to read my personal mail until the weekend. There were a couple of red Netflix envelopes mixed in with the bills and the junk mail. Yes, I still get the discs. I grabbed the DVDs and threw the rest back on my desk, ordered in from a Turkish restaurant down the block, and settled in for a leisurely night at home. I'm usually not good at leisure, but I lay down on the couch and watched those two DVDs and streamed another film. It felt good to focus on movies without having to worry about whatever might be going on at work. The next morning, the alarm went off at 6 a.m. Time to go to work, I thought, but then I remembered I had nothing to do that day except go out to dinner with Shayla. So I turned over and went back to sleep. I woke up a couple of hours later feeling refreshed. My life has gone down the toilet, I thought, but I feel good. I practically leaped out of bed, ready for the day. I'm an energetic guy at my worst, and I've always been a problem solver, even when I created the problem. I decided to clean the apartment, although the house cleaner was here a couple of days ago. There's stuff she never does well enough, in my opinion, like polish the furniture and clean the grout between the tiles on the bathroom floor. I got out her cleaning equipment and set to work. Hours passed. I didn't even break for lunch. Now my bathroom floor looks brand new. Every piece of furniture is gleaming. I'm covered with dirt and grease. And it's time to get ready for dinner. I take a shower, shave, then go into my dressing room and find a pair of jeans by Shayla's guys and a couple of t-shirts she gave me the last time I was in her showroom. I put on the jeans with my new boots and layer a red t-shirt over a yellow one with the yellow peeking out at the hems. The only logo is a small SG printed on the back of the shirt just below the neckline. Most of Shayla's stuff is plastered with screen prints and logos. The brand is aimed at teenagers. But I selected the more toned-down items in the line. I'm the same size I was in college, and the line fits me perfectly, and I love wearing it. The cut and the fabric are outstanding. I have to hand it to Shayla. She puts out a quality product. But I would never pay 200 bucks for a t-shirt. You'd have to be crazy. I think how strange it will be to see her that evening. For years, our relationship was based on the fact that I was the boss and she was on my staff. Even when we hung out outside of work, I bossed her around. I never thought about it. That's just the way it was. After she went out on her own, she was a boss too. 
We butted heads a few times before we figured out a peer relationship. To tell you the truth, she's now more of a success than I ever was. I think she did a hundred million in sales last year. Pretty good for a t-shirt company. Of course, she's branched out. There's the men's line, as I said, and a children's line, jeans, fragrance, jewelry, small leather goods, and shoes. Casual Friday has gobbled up the other four workdays in many companies, so her customers can wear Shayla seven days a week. She's gotten rich dressing people down. I arrive at her office at 7 sharp. Her assistant shows me in. Shayla is sitting at a conference table with her design team. I wonder if they all know I got fired yesterday. No more Regina Bridgewater by Stuart Livingston Hill. The end of an era. Did I tell you I signed away the use of my name to the company? What that means, among other things, is I won't ever own a company called Stuart Livingston Hill. It also means that Regina pays me royalties. I suppose I'll still get the checks for another few years. They don't amount to much, but I won't need to apply for unemployment. Also, I signed a non-compete agreement that says I'm not allowed to go head-to-head with the Regina brand for 18 months. In exchange, I got a nice severance package. The vice presidents couldn't throw me away like a used piece of Kleenex. They had to pay. But still, I was let go. And I'm guessing Shayla's design team views me as a has-been. Better than I never was, I think. Shayla runs up to me. She looks great with her blonde hair pulled back in a messy ponytail, a pink t-shirt and dark blue jeans. We plant kisses on each other's cheeks, one on each side. Her staff watches us as if they are at the theater, two boss types acting out boss behavior. I don't think you know everyone, Shayla says. I look around. They're all about ten years old. One of them is a very cute guy with dark hair and eyes. Just my type. They're all wearing Shayla like good little boys and girls. It suddenly occurs to me that my bad news must have been written up in women's wear. They all would have read about it by now. Everyone, this is Stuart Livingston Hill, Shayla says with a big flourish of her hand as if she's introducing them to a living legend. And I suppose she is. A living legend down on his luck. I wave my hand at the group as if I'm Queen Elizabeth greeting her subjects and paste a big smile on my face. Shayla runs off the list of their names. The cute guy's name is Jorge. Shayla takes me to Vicenza, a restaurant frequented by fashion types, or apparel industry workers, as the vice presidents like to say. The reservation's in her name, and they've kept a table open for her. We both run into several people we know. I'm sure they've heard what's happened to me. But I hold my head up and smile my way into the place. A designer who works for Ralph jumps up and kisses me. Great to see you, I say, and keep moving towards our table. I'm not ready to talk to acquaintances about getting fired. Why did you pick this place? I ask Shayla after we're seated. I was in the mood for something a little more out of the way. You have to show your face around town after you leave a big job, she said. That's what I did when I quit Regina. I was flat broke, but I went out every night and acted as if I was sitting on top of the world. You weren't fired. Neither were you! Oh, please, I said, and I give her a look. Did you sign an agreement saying you wouldn't talk about them if they wouldn't talk about you? Didn't you agree to say that you were leaving to pursue other interests? Yeah, but it's all bullshit. I got canned. No, you didn't. You are pursuing other interests. What interests? I'm retired. I want to learn yoga or Japanese flower arranging or something. What did you do today? Scrub the bathroom floor and polish the furniture. My apartment looks fabulous. Shayla threw back her head and laughed. (laughs) You're not 
incapable of relaxation. You're like me, obsessive. You need to get back to work right away. Who would hire a 60-year-old designer, I ask. And I look around the room at all of the 30-year-old whiz kids dining on their expense accounts. I would, she says. She's not laughing anymore. She has the hard expression on her face she gets when she's ready to cut a deal. I have an idea that I need you to help me with. My customer is growing up. She needs party dresses, in addition to jeans and t-shirts. I'm launching a line called Shayla Dresses Up. That's what the meeting in my office was about this evening. I want you to head up the design team. I shake my head no and hold a hand up like a traffic cop or maybe like Beyonce singing Put a Ring on It. But I don't want Shayla to give me a job just to be nice. I was never that nice to her when she worked for me. You don't have to throw me a bone, I say. I'll survive. Hey, I need you, she says. When can you start? I have two designers already working on the project, Jorge and Susan. They're full of great ideas, but they don't know shit about pricing or putting together a cohesive line. You're a pro. You can whip it into shape in two seconds. I would do it, but I don't have the time. Let me think about it, I say. I can't match your Regina compensation, but I'll do okay by you and give you a percentage, she says. I taught her long ago to put terms on the table before the other guy has a chance to throw out a big number. You won't have to worry about your non-compete because we don't compete with Regina, she adds. I'd already thought of the non-compete and come to the same conclusion. I nod my head in agreement. I'll sleep on it, I say. The waiter is hovering near our table with an impatient expression on his face. We order our dinner and a bottle of wine. Shayla knows when to push hard and when to back off. She doesn't bring up Shayla dresses up again. Instead, she talks much too much about Mitch. She thinks I should try to come to an agreement with him about the apartment, so I can finally move on from the relationship. She thinks I can buy him out for 300 grand. 300,000, I say. Where would I get that kind of money? Oh, come off it. You've got that and more, she says. Anyway, you're getting off light. If you had ever married to Mitch, you'd probably have to give him half of everything you have. When I get home, the lights are on in the apartment. I never leave them on. Global warming, CO2 emissions, and all that. And why should I pay Con Ed to light my apartment when I'm not there? The only people who have keys to the place are the house cleaner, Shayla, the managing agent of the building, and Mitch. But I know right away, it is Mitch who has turned on the lights. My heart starts to race, and I stand in the foyer, trying to gather my wits about me. I'm still not over Mitch, and I probably never will be. As corny as it sounds, he was the love of my life, and I always thought he felt the same. I never dreamed he would up and leave me. For a minute, I wonder if maybe things didn't work out for him in Florida, and he's come back to me. But realistically, I know that couldn't be true. Since he moved to Miami, he's called several times. We've talked about the apartment mainly, and we've had a few fights about what he thinks I should pay him for it. But when I try to steer the conversation into relationship issues, I get no response from him at all. He sounds as if he's completely bored with the subject of him and me. That's how over me he is. So I know there can be only one reason he's come to see me. He wants to talk business face to face. I hang up my coat and take a look in the mirror, and I'm relieved to see I look pretty damn good. I'm glad it was a Shayla dinner and I'm wearing a couple of tight t-shirts and a hot pair of jeans instead of a business suit. I throw back my shoulders and I go into the living room. 
Mitch is sitting on the couch reading the New York Times. Mitchie, I say. I'm so happy to see you. I plop down next to him on the couch, put my arms around him and try to kiss him, but he turns his head away. Are you still pissed at me, I ask, or are you ready to fall in love again? I guess part of me will always love you, he says. Then you're coming back to me, I say, but only as a tactic, since I know we'll never get back together. Indifference is written all over his face. I don't think so, he says. I live in Miami with Peter. Peter's a cater waiter Mitch met at work. They ran away together and got jobs in restaurants on South Beach, both abandoning older lovers and failed acting careers. So this is only a social call? You know why I'm here, he says, and he moves to a chair on the other side of the room. One hundred thousand dollars? You have got to be kidding. I thought it was a very generous offer. You vacated the premises. I'm giving you what your share of the place would be worth in today's market. Some people would give you nothing. I own 50% of this place, Mitch says. Our names are on the lease as equal partners, and we have no contract that says otherwise. My lawyer says I'm entitled. If he's so convinced, why doesn't he sue? I ask. My voice has become strident. I am sitting up straight, and my hands are clenched into fists. Not a good stance, I tell myself. I slump back into the cushions and let my head fall to one side. In a very small voice, I say, Mitchie, I got fired yesterday. I don't know what I'm going to do. Nobody will hire a 60-year-old designer. Of course, I don't mention the offer on the table from Shayla. I try to squeeze out a few tears, but it has been years since I cried and I'm out of practice. I don't believe you, he says. Regina wouldn't know what to do without you. I think it was in women's wear today, I say. Do you want to go online? You can help me find the article. I gesture toward my den, where my Mac, loaded with design software I have yet to figure out how to use, sits on my desk. Oh my God, he says. It's the end of an era. No more Regina Bridgewater by Stuart Livingston Hill. He bursts out laughing. (laughs) Inappropriately, I think. Since he's laughing away 28 years of my career. Go ahead and laugh. You never made an attempt to hide the fact that you thought my job was ridiculous. Designing schmatas for middle-aged women, I say. But working at Regina bought us this apartment. It took you to Europe at least once a year. I notice he's wearing an outfit I picked up for him last year in Italy. And it put clothes on your back, I add, pointing to his Prada pants, shirt, and boots. To his credit, he looks guilty. We both know I practically supported him for 20 years. If we were married, we wouldn't be having this discussion, he says. I'd get half of everything. But we never got married, I say. We have to deal with the facts as they are, not with conjecture. So how much are we talking? He asks. He sounds just like me. I suppress a smile. 200,000, I say. 300, he says. Mitchie, I'll love you till my dying day. It kills me to think about you having sex with another guy. 250, he says. He sounds unsure of himself. 
His lawyer must have told him a lawsuit would be prohibitively expensive. I have so many terrible expenses and no income, I say. How can I believe a word you say? He asks. I know you too well. Everything about you is fake. I'm the real McCoy, I say. Everyone knows that. The hardest working man on 7th Avenue. You are 100% fake, he says. Don't forget, I lived through your hair transplants, capped teeth, Botox injections, eye lifts, and facelift. And didn't you have a nose job and a name change before we met? All that's cosmetic, I say. What's inside is real. I take a hard look at Mitch. He has a nice Florida tan, but he's gotten paunchy and wrinkled. I wonder what kind of restaurant would hire him as a waiter. I bite my tongue to prevent myself from blurting out that he could use a little work himself. Mitch, I say, you obviously want to reach settlement. Otherwise, you wouldn't have come here all the way from South Beach. You're right, he says. I don't have the strength to fight you. You're too good at it. Thanks, I say. I'll take that as a compliment. But tonight you caught me at a weak moment. Go ahead. Take advantage of me. We finally agree on $225,000. I inwardly congratulate myself because Shayla said I'd have to give him three hundred. But outwardly I moan and groan about not being able to pay my bills after I write the check. We go to the computer and draw up an informal agreement and we both sign it. Then he leaves. I guess I'll never see him again. Unless I happen to go to the restaurant where he works in South Beach. Not that I frequent places that hire over-the-hill waiters. In the middle of the night, I wake up. I usually don't do the guilt thing, but I begin to worry about Mitch, ending up a wrinkled old prune who can't even land a job as a waiter. I decide I owe him something for being a loving companion, and I resolve to call him and offer him a half a million. Payback for giving me twenty good years of his life. Because splitting up a relationship isn't about negotiation. It's not like leaving a job. Splitting up with a partner you love should be about sharing what you both have. That way nobody's mad at anybody, and nobody will ever come back and ask for more. The next morning I call him at home in Miami. He told me he was taking the red eye from LaGuardia the previous night. Some cheapo deal he found on the internet, no doubt. Of course, when he was with me, he always flew first class. Peter answers the phone. This is Stuart Livingston Hill, I say. May I please speak with Mitch? No, you may not, Peter says. After what you put poor Mitch through, you can never speak to him again. Just send the check. Peter's voice is harsh and ragged as if he would like to scream at me, but is holding back. I'd like to hear that from Mitch, thank you, not from you, I say in a calm tone of voice with an edge of superiority in it. I'm not going to let an insignificant little nothing ruffle my feathers. Let me be perfectly clear, he says. Mitch doesn't ever want to speak to you again. He screams, fuck you, and slams down the phone. That's what I get for trying to do a good deed, I think. I dial Shayla's number, and when she answers, I tell her the whole story. How I talked Mitch down to 225, and then decided to call him back to offer him more, and how his snippy little boyfriend tore into me. 
They deserve no more than what they're getting, she says, and maybe less. Don't think I've softened up, I say. I just got to worrying about Mitch and thinking I would give him a little something extra. I'm not going to go easy on you. Mitch was family. Of course, your family too, but designing Shayla dresses up is business. I'm going to drive a hard bargain with you. That means you're taking the job, she says. She starts laughing a bit too loudly into the phone. Stuart Livingston Hill does Shayla dresses up, she screams in a triumphant tone of voice. Yeah, 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 I say. I'll have my guy call your guy about compensation. Shayla knows I don't come cheap. If she wants me, she'll have to pay. I'll probably quadruple her business. She knows that too. Otherwise, she wouldn't have made the offer. I spend the rest of the day on the phone with my lawyer, formalizing my agreement with Mitch and plotting out my contract talks with Shayla. Around six, I sit down and try to read the paper, but I can't stop thinking about Mitch living his shitty little life in Florida. I think about what he said. If we were straight, we would have gotten married. And I realize he was right. I probably would have had to give him half of everything I own in a divorce. I wish I'd offered him more, but it's too late to go back to the table. It's time to start living the rest of my life. Find a new boyfriend. Stop feeling sorry for myself. Sixty could be a new beginning, though God only knows how long I'll live. I think about getting fired by Regina Bridgewater and being hired by Shayla the next day, and I laugh because I know the vice presidents are going to burst a collective gasket when they hear about my new job. And the funny thing is, there is nothing they or anyone else can do to stop me. Unless, of course, they shoot bullets, resort to blackmail, or file a lawsuit. But I'm not going to waste my time worrying about any of that. Thank you for listening to A Story Most Queer. Today's story was Stuart Livingston Hill. Written by Gear Austin and read by Vince Gatton. This episode was edited by Leah Cornish. Our outro music is Round Daytime by Paratune. If you like the show, please remember to rate, review, and subscribe on your podcast app of choice. You can follow us on social. We are A Story Most Queer on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. If you would like to submit a story, head over to astorymostqueer.mischiefmedia.com to read over our FAQs and fill out the form. Remember to check out our Patreon community. You can join us at patreon.com slash makingmischief. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next week for another Story Most Queer.